Hello and thanks for joining us once again for another episode of the Playsheet podcast where we bring you a quick look back on all the week five game action and look forward to the games that are coming up in week six. There's a little bit of analysis to break it down. I'm here with my friend Joe and we're going to take you through everything that you need to know for the upcoming games in the NFL. So this week, Joe, we take a bit of a deep dive into the 49ers defensive issues and also discuss the Raiders and their playoff hopes. Yeah, and I'm also going to be getting off my chest my views on the win probability calculator that seems to be creeping into the game and bringing you a new weekly segment, Drew Watch, the latest on Drew Samia's guard play. Let's get straight into it then, Joe. Okay, Chess, how about the Chiefs and Bills? Thursday night game starts off. Arguably a bit of an upset with the Chiefs losing 40-32 to the Raiders. And one of the things that I said last week, being the reason why I thought the Raiders wouldn't have much success against the Chiefs, was their lack of a pass rush. But Mahomes found himself under an immense amount of pressure this game. And the pass rush was there. I mean, he got his first interception of the season. Although it is probably worth pointing out that that was in garbage time on a fourth and seven. So probably not really his fault for that one. But it was tough going for Mahomes. He had to scramble a lot and he found himself twisting and turning to make a lot of passes under pressure. So, you know, hats off to Las Vegas for making that happen. I'm going to start early here. I'm going to start disagreeing with you early. And in terms of the pass rush, I'm going to get on to why I thought the Raiders were so good. The pass rush, I still don't think was anything special. And it wasn't the reason why we won this game. Patrick Mahomes held the ball for longer than anyone else in the league in game week five. He was holding the ball for, on average, 3.71 seconds, which is an age. So he still had time. It was everything else the Raiders were doing, really. That was the reason for their success. And the ultimate reason was because Derek Carr was having a day and absolutely trucking. But I would still argue that the pass rush is one of the weakest areas of the Raiders game. Uh, You can argue whether this is luck or poor play, but the Chiefs had a number of touchdowns ruled out due to penalties, which... I'm not saying that any of them weren't penalties, but they could have easily had two, three more touchdowns to their score and they'd have won that game if it wasn't for a few silly penalties. So I think that made the scoreline a little bit more deceptive than it actually was. Yeah, but then you've got to roll with that as well because don't forget that last week against the Patriots, the Chiefs were extremely lucky to not have a pick six or a fumble return for six, whatever we're going to call it, when the Patriots should have had a turnover. You win some, you lose some, and you just got to accept it. But the Raiders played out their skins. I think the question really has to start to be, are the Raiders going to be a playoff team in the AFC? And if they are, how far will the Raiders go? Like I mentioned previously, I still don't think they're generating enough pressure on a pass rush. Yet, they sacked Mahomes a couple of times. But like I said, he was holding the ball for the longest of anyone in the league last week. The Raiders right now, on offense, they're averaging over 30 points a game. They're an extremely high-scoring team. Carr's playing the best that Carr's ever played. Let's just go through Carr's stats. He's 11-1 and touchdown to interceptions. He has a passer rating of 115.9 over five games, which is the fourth in the league. He has a 73.1 completion rate, which is ridiculous. He's already led a fourth quarter comeback against the Panthers. Carr is playing extremely, extremely well. And... You've got Jacobs as well, who's balancing things out. I think that as long as they keep scoring, uh, this Raiders team will go pretty far. Yeah, I agree. I think, look, the Chiefs was, in my mind, an upset. The one thing I would say is you do have to remember, they lost to the Bills, they lost to the Patriots. It's a mixed bag, and this is kind of how I'm viewing the Raiders at the moment. I think they're a good team, but they're not going to be a team that is going to have a deep playoff run, I wouldn't have thought. I don't think they're going to have a deep run. But look, they lost to the Bills, who are 4-0 side. They lost to the Patriots, who are the Patriots. How many times do you think the Raiders have been to the playoffs since 2002, Chaz? Zero. In 18 years, they've had one playoff appearance. In 18 years, they've had one winning season. This is who the Raiders are. But this season, their offense is really playing well. They're averaging 30.2 points a game. Now, the reason they're not going to go deep in the playoffs is because their defence is conceding 30.4 points a game. Over five games, the defence has conceded a point more than the offence has scored. And that's where the problems lie. Until they manage to generate a better pass rush, until their cornerbacks step up a little bit more, they'll get beaten by better teams. 
Yeah, and I think you saw that in their near defeat to the Panthers. Yeah. They scored 34 points, which is great, but then they conceded 30. Yeah. That's the risk against a Panthers team that aren't great. So, yeah, offense is absolutely firing, and on their day, they can take down teams like the Chiefs, no doubt about it. But it is that defense that makes them a bit of a liability, and you never know when that's going to come. And this is where it's going to be interesting, really, over the next few games, because the next few games that the Raiders have, it's really interesting. Like A lot of them look like 50-50 games. You've got the Buccaneers, you've got the Browns, you've got the Chargers, you've got the Broncos, Chiefs again, and Falcons. And for nearly all of those games, you can probably make a case for either side. So what's going to happen with the Raiders? Is the defense going to manage to step up? Is the offense going to take a step backwards? It could go either way. If EO doesn't hold the standard, they'll lose games and they'll lose more than they win. If a D steps up, uh, they could be an interesting, I want to say wildcard team because I still don't think they're going to finish above the Chiefs in the AFC West. They'll be an interesting wildcard team. Yeah, well, the wildcard, there's extra spaces opened up this season, hasn't there? So I could see them making that. Yeah, yeah, as long as that O keeps on playing. But like we said, I think that unless the D gets considerably better, their playoff run won't be deep. Yeah, so returning then to the Chiefs and the Bills. So yeah, I said that the Bills there were a 4-0 team. Just to clarify it for our newer listeners, we record on a Tuesday night. So unfortunately this week, there'll be a game played after we record. So the Bills may be a 5-0 team, they may be a 4-1 team by the time you hear this. But at the time of recording, they are a 4-0 team. And what do you think their chances are against the Chiefs then? Assuming that the Bills beat the Titans tonight... I believe that the Chiefs will snap the Bills out of their winning streak. I think that the Chiefs are going to be playing angry having lost last week and they'll be trying to make amends for that. I don't see them going into any kind of slouch or prolonged losing streak. I see the Chiefs winning this. Chiefs by 10 points. I also, like you, expect the Bills to beat the Titans tonight. And then I'm thinking the Bills are going into this 5-0 and if that is the case and the Chiefs have lost. Could there be an upset on the cards here? But I'm just not convinced when you put the Bills against some of the top teams in the league, like, you know, the Chiefs, that they come out on top. So I've got the Chiefs by seven points. Then we go into our Sunday early window games with Bears at the Panthers. Now, Joe, the Bears won 2019 against the Bucks. They're continuing to push forward. What what do you think about this Bears team? I still don't believe in this Bears team. There seems to be some kind of magic spell that when Nick Foles plays Tom Brady, he somehow wins, somehow. You know, this is the first time that Foles and Brady have played since the Super Bowl, and they're now both on completely different teams. I think that's the first time in NFL history that two Super Bowl quarterbacks have duked it out, and then the next time they meet, they're both on different teams. You know what, that probably would be the case. I can't think of an example where that's not happened. Good stat. Bit of an obscure one, but there you go. Bit of an obscure stat, but yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. Look, there were two teams this week that threw away a 13-0 halftime lead, and the Buccaneers were one of them. You look at how the Bears played that first half, and the Bears were pretty atrocious going into halftime. I mean, Foles was atrocious. Foles was absolutely Foles was atrocious. He got intercepted, and he could have been picked off a couple more times throughout the game. He missed a wide and he was open... missing big. He was yeah. missing big. Yeah, missed a wide open Robinson on early third and two, and then completely missed a wide open deep touchdown pass to Darnell. He ended up only going two hundred and forty three yards, and yeah, sure, Brady only went two hundred and fifty three, but he only got one passing touchdown. Foles was bad. It wasn't the offense that won the Bears this game. It was their defense, which it was absolutely the D. Which last week was the thing that I said I thought would keep the game close. I still never thought the Bears would win this. But the Bears D absolutely showed up and won them the game. Yeah, I was not impressed by Foles. He played efficiently for a half, but that first half he was terrible. And look, they're playing the Panthers. I feel that the Panthers are a team that maybe on this podcast we haven't given as much love as they perhaps deserve. I mean, you know, they're 3-2 and two at the moment. Haven't really missed a beat without CMC. Mike Davis has stepped in, and I mean, he's really played well. For all the kind of running back truthers like myself, who at the start of the season and, you know, long before this have said that you shouldn't pay running backs, 
The one running back who we were like, all right, yeah, you can kind of pay him was C-Mac. He was a game changer in a lot of people's eyes. It was acceptable to pay a running back like C-Mac that money because players like him, players like Barkley, maybe players like Peak Zeke are game changers and are the very few running backs who justify that kind of money. But Mike Davis has shown that there are no sacred cows, that even players like C-Mac aren't worth the money because there's someone else who will step up and play almost as good. Mike Davis' stat line against Atlanta last week, 16 carries for 89 yards. That's 5.6 yards a carry. Really, really good average there. He had 10 targets, bought in nine of them for another 60 yards and a touchdown. Those are big numbers, over 150 yards from scrummage and a touchdown. The Panthers' record with Mike Davies as the starting running back is 3-0. Their record with C-Mac as a starting running back this season is 0-2. There are no sacred cows at the running back position anymore. Yeah, he had a, a really strong game. And the Panthers' D continue to impress as well, despite being down Dante Jackson and Brian Burns. And Burns has been one of the best edge rushers in the league this year. So to still win a game without him, that was impressive. Yeah, and not just win a game, but hold the Falcons to 16 points. And as we saw against the Cowboys, the Falcons can score on a bad defense team. They held Matt Ryan to basically nothing. Yeah. Like, I mean, Matt Ryan didn't get a touchdown. This is Matt Ryan who, you know, he's a three to four touchdown a game player. I know that's how the Falcons have to play, but Matt Ryan normally gets touchdowns. He got nothing. Now, part of this is that the Falcons make the Panthers look good. They make anyone look good. Yeah. And obviously having no Julio Jones probably plays into that. But they really, really struggled to score without Julio. And, you know, the Panthers did a solidly good defensive job. So they're good on the defense. As you pointed out, Davis looks great on the offense. They made Bridgewater look good again. I'm still trying to come to terms whether Bridgewater is good or he's just being made to look good by these defences. I'm still not totally convinced yet. So where are you going with your Prudo for this week? Oh, I hate it. I feel absolutely dirty, but I'm going Bears by a field goal because I do think the Bears defence is good enough to hold the Panthers to a low score, a low enough score for the Bears to nick it by a field goal. Okay, I'm going to go Panthers also by a field goal because Foles isn't playing Brady this week, so he won't have his superpowers. The Panthers are a well-rounded team. Mike Davis is playing well. But yeah, I still don't think the Panthers are a great side. They're not a playoff side. Yeah, I mean, I like the Panthers. I expected them to win against the Falcons this week. I understand you had a nasty little bet that the Falcons did you over on. They did me over on two accumulators. Are they like the Jets to you now? Are they dead to you? <laughs> They're dead to me forever. So, I mean, I like the Panthers and I, I backed them this week. I thought they'd do it. I, but I do think that as much as I hate to say it, I think maybe we're not giving elements of the Bears team enough respect. And I think the defense is part of that. And I think it might just overcome the Panthers this week. Okay, then. let's move on. Next game, Bengals at Colts. Oh, what a bad day out for the Bengals, eh? They lost 27-3 to the Ravens. It was oh, just a car crash, wasn't it? It was easily Joe Burrow's worst game. And I mean, they made him look like a rookie in it. They made him look bad. Yeah, a bad game from Joe Burrow last week. Yeah, it was. But against a very formidable Ravens defense, I think I have to say. I feel like I say this every week, as do you. The Bengals O-line is so bad. And actually, it was something that you brought up last week or maybe the week before where you said, you were worried that someone with Burrow's talent was going to get wasted or injured. And this week, Burrow got sacked seven times. And I was just watching it thinking, how has he not come out of this game with an injury? That O-line is just, it was not even there. It was transparent. And the Ravens just went straight through him. And I think that is a real concern moving forward. Yeah, I think it's criminal, really, that the Bengals have a player like Joe Burrow with all that talent and potential, and they're putting his career at risk, basically, by it's subjecting him to the violence of the opposing defensive lines. And I genuinely hope that he has a long and successful career, but you worry. Every game that he goes into, he's just so exposed. Yeah, and a game like this against a defense as formidable as the Ravens, they're the games where he could easily come off injured, especially, I mean, to take seven sacks in a game, 
if you're facing that week in and week out, your body is not going to hold up. It just isn't. Yeah. Just to finish it off, Jazz, Joe Burrow is the most sacked player in the National Football League through five games. He's been sacked 22 times, average of 4.4 a game. He's getting sacked on nearly 10% of plays, 9.6%. And the scary thing is, he's coming out of that heavy defeat to the Ravens where he ate seven sacks and going straight into Colts territory, who are another massively formidable defense. And I worry it could be another bad day at the office for the Bengals. Yeah, I don't see things getting any better for Joe Burrow. Unfortunately for him as well, you're seeing some senior players in that team not acting like veterans. I mean, the attitude of AJ Green the last week, if the cameras picked up what it seemed, he said, where he went on the bench and basically said he wanted to get traded. You don't need this when you're a rookie quarterback going into a struggling team. You want veterans around you who are team players, who are pulling together for you to try and make your life easy coming into the National Football League, taking that huge step up from college. He certainly doesn't have a line that are watching his back and he's not got veteran players in that team who are supporting him either. Considering all the injuries he's had and the Bengals still put their faith in him, to turn around and say, trade me, he's got zero respect for that franchise. He's been paid a lot of money for a player who's sat on a bench for two and a half seasons with injuries and for a player who's not performed this season, really. He had a lot of targets early on and he didn't really do an awful lot with them. Look, back to the game. From everything we've said there, I I see this as a Colts win. It's how much, really. If Joe Burrow plays as well as he can, as he has in a couple of games this season, I could see it being kept to within 10 points. But if there's anything like last week, I think the Colts will score. Not like the Colts are playing well. Philip Rivers is showing decline for sure. I've been a supporter of him, but he's showing decline there. But look, 13 points. Yeah, the one thing I would say is, talking about that Colts game and the loss 32-23 to the Browns it was, I felt that was another game that was determined more by the defences than it was for the offences. And Colts had Anthony Costanzo out at left tackle and they really struggled to stop the Cleveland D bothering Rivers. He was under pressure a lot. And sure, there were some plays of Rivers where it felt like he was making silly plays without the pressure. But maybe he just felt rattled because they were on him so much. This is quite a kind of twist around here because it's normally me that's sticking up for Phil Rivers and you that's tearing into him. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yeah. But no, but it is fair. Miles Garrett was all over him. Wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He just didn't have that left tackle support there because he's normally like, you know, the Colts generally have one of, if not the best lines in the league. So to lose a tackle of Costanzo's quality there, it was a big loss. But look, it could be a few things. It could be the decline of Rivers. It could be, like you say, that he was rattled. Either way, he wasn't playing as well as he had done previously. But I think that's moot, really, because the Spengel side are so bad that the Colts will still have their way, whatever happens. And I think that was kind of my point going into this prediction, is that I think the Colts were made to play badly because of the defence that the Browns put out there. I don't think that will be the case against the Bengals. I've got them winning by 17 points. So then we go into the Lions at Jaguars. Lions were on a bye this week, so we've only got the Jaguars to discuss in their 14-30 loss to the Texans. Yeah, and I mean, the Texans finally winning the game was coming. I know they sacked Bill O'Brien, but in their first four games, they played the Chiefs, the Ravens, So you can give them the benefit of a doubt in two of those games. They played a Vikings team, which, as I said before, it is a bad team. It remains a bad team. But as much as they're a bad team, they're a team that took the Seahawks to within a point in the last week. So they played good teams and competitive teams through the first four games. They were going to win at some point and they won against the Jags. The Jags had a bad game. They played probably, would you agree with this, probably the worst they've played all season? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, But look... I've got no belief in this Lions team whatsoever. They've been a one-quarter game so far. When we played the Saints, they took the lead in the first quarter and then basically didn't turn up for the next three quarters. I don't want to go into too much detail, but if we go back into who the Lions drafted, Jeff Okuda, the third pick in the draft this year, has been terrible. Of the top 20 draft picks, he's probably been the worst performing rookie this season. He's had a terrible start. So they haven't improved through their draft picks too much. I'm going Jags by two scores. As we said, Texans finally got their win against an average Jags team at best. But the Jags did have half of their defense missing. 
And even then, they had to help the Texans get there with that weird James Robinson play where it looked like he wanted to pass it and he ended up fumbling it. Weird, weird play. Really it was absolutely weird bizarre. Play. I d- didn't understand what was happening there. Like, I don't think he knew what was happening. Like, <laughs> no, he, like, I agree. He looked like he'd just woken up in like a nightmare and he was suddenly like in a stadium in front of thousands of people with a ball just... He looks so confused. With a ball just directly snapped to him. And it's like one of those dreams. That's just a nightmare you've got no control of. It was <laughs> weird play. Yeah, I mean, Minshew also missed wide open Eifert in the first half for a touchdown pass, which meant they then had to take a 49-yard field goal, which they missed. So I feel like the Jags helped the Texans get there a lot. The Jags bottomed out last week. Yeah, but I don't know how much of that defense is going to be ready to come back this week. And I think if the injuries are still there on the defense... I actually think that Stafford and the Lions could punish them if they can get over their fourth quarter jitters, which has been something that's been plaguing the Lions all season. And I've actually got the Lions winning this by 10. Lions by 10. Wow. So we really are quite differing here. Yeah. It's a 24 point difference between our two views. Lions have got Golladay probably back to full health this week which is certainly their favour. That's what I'm thinking, you see. I think if that defence is still injured on the Jags, I can see Stafford, you know, some deep plays going into Golladay and I think they could cut the Jags open a bit and win it by 10. But let's see. Let's see. Next game, Falcons at the Vikings. Yeah, so we've already discussed the Falcons' loss to the Panthers. Their defence continues to be absolutely appalling, despite the fact that they got both Keanu Neal and Tack McKinley back from injury this week. It's a genuine concern. They've now gone 0-5, like I thought they would do. And as we discussed last week as well, you said, would Dan Quinn be fired if they do go 0-5? I thought he would. He's gone. So it's kind of gone, certainly how I saw it. But I think the scary thing is that the Falcons look like they can't score. Yeah, this is what I was really going to comment to here. Like, I mean, you know, they've had a bad, decent Super Bowl. And you can say what you want about it. And, you know, it's probably fair to say that injuries played a part in that. But, I mean, part of building a good football team is having depth because players get injured. There's a 100% attrition rate. You are guaranteed to get hurt during your career. And so as a coach, a GM, you have to build a team to deal with injuries. But that's neither here nor there. The point that we're making is for all the trouble that the defense has had, the offense has managed to step up and paper over those cracks. If Matt Ryan isn't firing... If Julio Jones and Karen Ridley are dropping catches, this is a team with a very, very low floor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And ironically enough, Gurley seemed to be the only bright spark for the offense this week. (laughs) Yeah, it was retro Gurley, the uh, best game he's had in a Falcon shirt. Yeah, although I do think that was probably a product of some great run blocking from the O-line, though, which led to some big gains. Still, he made those gains, he ran through those holes, he did that side of it, so fair play to him. They're playing the Vikings. You know, there's two teams here that in 10 games between them only have one win. I want to talk a little bit about how the Vikings game ended last week in Seattle, as painful as this is for me. There's been a lot of talk about it. It was a great game on Sunday night, you know, back and forth. But the standout moment and the moment that will be remembered, Vikings were 6-1, and one, two minutes left, fourth down, and they decided to go for it. Now, Had they taken the kick, they would have led by eight points and left Russell Wilson with just shy of two minutes to march down the field and get a touchdown and then get a two-point conversion to tie the game and probably send it to overtime. Vikings failed to get the four and one, so they gave the ball back to the Seahawks and the Seahawks marched down the field and got a touchdown. Didn't get the two-point that they went for and beat the Vikings by a point. Now, there was a lot of graphics on the screen and the commentators were talking about win probabilities. On the coverage with NBC, they put down that the Vikings had a 94% win chance of how things stood. If they had kicked the field goal, it would have stayed at 94%. If they converted on fourth down, it would have gone to 100%. And if they missed a field goal or got stopped on fourth down, it would have dropped to 74%. Now, everyone was saying, oh, it was the right move. The interpretation of this win probability is something that kind of bothers me because you're trying to make something mathematical when the science to get there, it's not mathematical at all. Now, I've gone into how these win probabilities are calculated. And basically, 
there are no real comparable variables. The 11 Vikings players who were on the field playing the 11 Falcons players who were on the field had never played in that configuration whatsoever previously. It never happened. There's nothing to compare this to. All you can compare it to is comparable situations with different teams, different conditions, different quarterbacks who are going to march the ball down the field in the next play. As well as this, in the calculators that they use to get to these win probabilities, you have to do stuff like put in the Vegas odds and that kind of stuff. I, I'm not even lying. I went to the uh, PFR one and they're one you need to put the Vegas odds in. So these win probabilities are being like presented as science when they're really, really not. And the interpretation of the numbers as well. All right, if you convert that, you are winning the game. But you lose that and you're turning, you know, the 6% chance that the Seahawks have a winning into a 26% chance. So if you fail, you're giving them a four and a half times more likely chance to win the game. The point that I'm making, it seems to be a bit of an in vogue thing this season to talk about win probabilities. This is creeping into the game and it's been presented as fact and it's absolute made up stuff. For the record as well, ESPN had it at 97.8% had they taken the kick and 98% had they converted. So there's no kind of consensus as well on what these calculations are or how they're being made. And I think fans just have to be a little bit careful, really, because it's something that the TV stations and the networks have made up to uh, give a commentator something to talk about when they don't really have too much to add. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, we both stayed up to watch that game and we were extremely tired the next day. But I remember talking through it at the time and I said to you, they've got to kick this right. They absolutely have to kick this. And you said, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, if they go for the fourth and one, and don't get it, and we lose, that is a coaching failure. And I couldn't agree more, because here's the thing. There's two scenarios here, right? Scenario one, you kick it. The worst case scenario in that situation is you force Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to be perfect to take it to overtime. Scenario two, you go for the fourth and one, yes, you can win the game, and it can be 100% win chance but if you don't make it all you're doing is asking Russell Wilson to get a touchdown within two minutes I know which situation I'd rather put myself in you know what Chaz I don't even mind the decision right he made that choice but I'll guarantee this in the calculators that they're doing to get these win probabilities they're not considering stuff like how many kicks the kicker has made that night whether he's two and two or whether he's zero and four they're not thinking that kind of stuff now had Dan Bailey missed a few kicks. Had he looked dodgy, then you'd probably say, yeah, it's probably best we go for it. He had been two of two that night. What the choice was, was a choice that Mike Zimmer made. It's how people are getting to that choice. And if there's people on the Viking sideline who are, you know, have their laptops out, their Microsoft Surface tablets or whatever they're using, and they're using these kind of calculators, I think it's dangerous. I think it's not the right way to do things because it's not mathematical. It's not scientific. It's pseudoscience. Whatever decision Zimmer made, he made. You know, I'm just a fan at home. I can see the benefits either way, but just don't get to it from his stupid win probability percentages. Yeah, I'm probably going to revisit this again when there's another game where a commentator says, oh, at this stage in the game, they had a 99% win chance, and then they go on to lose it. And that's happened like four times this season. So clearly these calculations aren't right, because that just wouldn't happen four times. Actually, that is the truest test of how phony these things are. Games like this have been thrown away with like a 96 win percent probability. Well, then, if this has happened four times out of however many, the probability can't be 96%, can it? No, no. It's just absolute pseudoscience gobbledygook that the networks have invented to try to act like they've got some new stats and new gen science. It's nonsense. And on this show, I'm not going to be talking about win probabilities anymore. End of. Yeah, right. Well, that aside then. (laughs) That aside, yeah. The dying minutes of the game aside, there's a few things that I want to mention in this game. I think, funnily enough, the Vikings' defense held up for large parts of the game. They denied Wilson a score in the first half, and they defended the run really well, which surprised me. The Vikings then continued to do what they do so well on the offense. They pounded the rock. Unfortunately, Cook got injured. But Madison looked good again. We talked about C-Mac. Yeah, but this is the thing. He's a very capable handcuff running back. The only other thing I have to say about this game is Drew Samir, Joe. After you pointed him out last week, 
I sort of had my eye on him in this game. I thought, okay, let's see what this is all about. Dear Lord, the man was horrendous. I honestly think if Drew Samir was not on the pitch, I think Vikings might have won. I'm going to now go further and say that Drew Samir is the worst player in a National Football League. Until the Vikings drop him, and I don't just mean drop him, I mean cut him. Until he's cut and banished from a training facility, I'm going to do Drew Watch every single week and just update the listeners on how bad this player is. So, update Drew Watch this week. In the game against the Seahawks, he gave away four penalties and he allowed five pressures. Literally the only time you noticed that Drew Samia was playing was when he gave away penalties. Because the rest of the time he was a ghost that the defense was just running through. And he also got in the running lanes of both Cook and Madison and bought a couple of runs to premature ends because his footwork is atrocious as well. It's almost a laugh just watching him how bad it is. Yeah, completely agree. So with that in mind then, moving on to the prediction for this week, it's a tough one for me because I've garbaged the Falcons every single week and it's weird when you think that the Vikings narrowly lost to the Seahawks that I'm even considering that this is close, especially when the Falcons were embarrassed by the Panthers. But I think both teams have similar issues. Both of them are struggling defensively. Both teams have success running the ball and they can score a lot of points in the air. But if the quarterbacks get bottled up and there's defensive pressure, they struggle. So in many ways, I feel they're quite similar Julio Jones potentially being back could be the factor that maybe swings this for the Falcons and I think against better judgment for that reason I think I'm going to back the Falcons to get their first win I think Ridley and Jones could cause the Vikings corners big time trouble so I'm going Falcons by a score I agree with you in the sense that they have similar issues but I think that the issues that the Falcons have are considerably worse than the issues the Vikings have yes the secondaries of both teams are bad But the Falcons are so bad. Like, I mean, you look at how they've just gone through their whole depth chart, bought the practice squad on, and then gone through all of those players in terms of injuries. Yeah, Dantzler was looking pretty bad against the Seahawks. Holton Hill has been bad. But generally, as a unit, and especially with the two safeties that the Vikings have as well, their pass defense is better than that of the Falcons. Looking at the wide receivers as well, even when... Julio Jones was healthy for the first couple of games of the season. I think that Phelan and Jefferson have played better than Jones and Ridley. Going into the game against the Seahawks, PFF, which I don't like them too much, but PFF had Phelan and Jefferson ranked as the one and two wide receivers in the league. So, look, I just think that the Vikings are a better team. Not a good team, but they're a better team than the Falcons. So I'm going Vikings and I'm going Vikings 10. Yeah, I think the Vikings are the better team than the Falcons. I just think the matchup for me, there's something in it that makes me think that the Falcons might fare a little bit better, but we shall wait and see. So then we go into Washington football team at the Giants. There's normally a few games in a podcast where we realise we've talked in detail during a few games and we've got a couple of runtime down. So we just say, these are garbage teams. Let's not talk about it too much and move on. And I think this is one of these matchups. It's an <laughs> NFC East matchup, the car crash division. Washington and Giants, they really are garbage. What have you got on this? <laughs> well, do you know what? Looking at the Washington game, they lost 30-10 to the Rams. And I think someone said it best in our fantasy group when they said, I didn't enjoy seeing Aaron Donald wear Alex Smith like a backpack in that game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you just winced every time the ball was snapped to Smith. Like, you know, lovely story, him coming back. But I mean, you winced because that line was just giving up. And Donald was having an absolute day, wasn't he? Well, this is the thing, because Kyle Allen got taken out of the game, I think at the two-minute warning or just before it. And to end the first half, Smith comes in, leads a field goal drive going into the half. And I'm thinking, is this the Disney story? Is this the rags to riches narrative coming to pass? And then we spent the entire second half just, as you said, wincing as Smith took hit after hit and was just banished to the shadow realm. Just one thing of interest real quickly. Carl Allen was cleared to come back by halftime. Riviera kept him out and kept Smith in the game. And I just thought that was a slightly weird decision because if you've made him a starter, and I mean, at the point he came off, Washington weren't that far behind in the game. They were still in the game. And so to hook him after, you know, a half, basically, and then not put him back on this pitch, I thought that was a bit of a strange decision by Ron there, really. Do you not think 
that that was a protection issue, though. I mean, he took a pretty nasty hit to the head and I know he was cleared to come back in, but I'm wondering if Riviera thought, look, Tonald is having a field day and if we put him back in and he takes another one of those hits, I wonder if he was just thinking, this is a game where he's going to take sack after sack. Let's protect him so he's good to go for next week. So he's going to take sack after sack. So you put the quarterback in who's not played for two and a half years because his leg was nearly ripped off his body and you don't really know how tough his leg is. So you put him in and give him loads and loads of sacks. I think you just leave him out there. I think he just goes, look, he's out there and I'd rather he took all the sacks than the guy who I want to be my starting quarterback. I think that if you're cleared to come back and you have a star and you're cleared, you come back on. I disagree with what Ron Riviera did there. I think that it it's bad for the confidence of Carl Allen. Anyway, we've already talked about these teams for too long. How have you got it? I think the Washington defense is going to continue to be oppressive and I think it could rattle Jones. Jones looked, oh my God, so bad this week. And I'm amazed that that Giants-Cowboys game was as close as it was. So Washington football team aren't as leaky as the Cowboys are defensively. I think Kyle Allen's going to be back in week six. So I think Washington could do this and win it by a field goal. I would have that as a score if Washington were only going to score three points because the Giants is just atrocious. I think Washington will win it by a little bit more. I'm going Washington by 10. Cool. But I could see it being like a 13-3 game, something like that. Yeah, Uh, it could be. You know, it's definitely not one I'm going to watch the full game on Game Pass on. So the next game up, we've got the Ravens at the Eagles. We've discussed the Ravens' victory against the Bengals, but when will they let Dobbins loose, Joe? He gets like three touches a game, but every time he does... He gets like three touches a game, yeah, yeah. But every time he does, he goes ripping big yardage and breaking like three tackles. What more do you need to see from the guy to go, let's give him some more touches? I'm not sure if they're trying to keep Dobbins off of other coaches' game tape and if maybe the plan is to unleash him a bit more in playoffs where coaches just haven't really got time to game plan against him as much. That's all that can really put it down to. What do you think about this Ravens D then? Because I know at the beginning you thought that it wasn't the same defence it was last year. Is your opinion changing on that at all? I know this is the Bengals. Exactly. For that reason, no, it's not changed. They'll have to play like that against bigger, better teams for me to say. But they have done. We're in week five now. No, yeah, no, no, no. But they got their pants pulled down by the Chiefs still. Yeah, which is one game. But aside from the Chiefs, they have dominated defensively. They've showed up in every single game except for that Chiefs game and we're five weeks in. I don't know what more you need to see from them to think that they're as good as they were last season. They played the Browns week one where the Browns were playing terrible. And I know that the Browns have played better since then. And you could say, yeah, like maybe the Ravens were making them look a bit bad, but no. Next game, they play the Texans. We know what the Texans are about. The Texans are a one and four team. Texans aren't a good football team. Texans put 16 points against them. Then they lose to the Chiefs and give up 34 points. Then they play Washington, who we go on about, are a terrible, terrible team. They beat them 31-17. But I mean, you're playing Washington. And then last week, they play the Bengals as well, who are a terrible, terrible team. So basically, they've played four teams who are really bad. And they've only really played one team who are quality. And I know they're a very good side in the Chiefs side, but when they played someone who were very, very good, they got beaten. They're playing Eagles this week, and I'm not being funny, I don't rate the Eagles at all. No, I don't. So even if the Ravens go and win again, you know, like another 31-17 game, that's not going to be enough to change my view of them. What will change my view, I'm going to let you hold me to this, what will change my view is if the Ravens look good against the Steelers 1st of November, game week 8, their 7th game because they've got a bye the week after this one. If they look good against the Steelers and stop this very potent Steelers offence, then I'll say, you know what, Chaz, yeah, maybe they're better than I thought they were. But... There's just not enough good teams that have played there to really show what this D's about. Okay, fair enough. We'll wait till then. So speaking of the Steelers and coming back to Ravens and Eagles this week, Eagles lost 38-29 to the Steelers, which was pretty much how we saw the game going in our predictions. We had it by 10. Yeah, the only thing I really have to say about that is Fulgham looked good and uh, actually this Eagles put up more points than I expected against the Steelers defense, which I expected to be a little bit more robust. I think the Eagles are finally starting to warm up to the season and not in a way where they're going to be good, but perhaps in a way where they won't suck. So uh, prediction wise, I don't think it's going to be like a three score difference. 
but I think maybe two scores to the Ravens. Okay, going back to what you said, I'm going to say why I disagree. I think that the Steelers, for as good as they are, they seem to have a habit of letting teams stay in the game. So they did this against the Eagles last week. They did this against the Broncos in game week two as well. The Steelers went into a huge lead against the Broncos, then only won the game 26-21. They let the Giants put 14 points up against them. They let the Texans get 21 points against them and only won that game by a score. It seems that the Steelers are a good defence when it matters, when the games are closed to start with. Then they almost just kind of switch off and don't bother once the game is pretty much tied up. And they're giving away just a lot of points in like the third quarter. She's giving teams a bit of a sniff. And that is a weakness of a Steelers team because at one stage, this is going to come back and bite you. And one of these teams that they let have a sniff will just go and do it. Until now, it's not happened. But I don't really take that as a glowing kind of example of the Eagles being good. This Eagles side, I talked about Joe Burrow having the most sacks in the league. The quarterback who's eaten the second most sacks is Carson Wentz. And Joe Burrow's had 22, Carson Wentz has had 19, but Carson Wentz hasn't played the Ravens. He's going to play the Ravens this week, he's going to get ruined by them, he's going to get sacked to death. You said that you don't think that's going to be a blowout, I do think it will be a blowout, so I've got this Ravens by three scores. Oh, interesting, okay then. So, we've got two more games in this early window, next up is Browns at Steelers. So Browns, we've discussed, solid defensive pressure on Rivers. I think a lot of this game is going to come down to if Mayfield plays in game week six or not. I think the x-ray showed that he could be ready by next week, but no definitive call's been made yet. The Steelers... Who is the Browns' backup quarterback if Mayfield doesn't play? It's Case Keenum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's Case Keenum. So that's not awful. It's not a slouch. It's not a scrub. No, no. So as we've discussed about the Steelers... Their defence, I thought, wasn't as robust this week. But actually, you make a very good point in that they've got a bit of a habit of doing this, just sort of slacking off in games. But my goodness, Chase Claypool, take a bow. He had an unreal game, didn't he? Take a boost, Really, really good performance from the rookie there. Yeah, and he helped to propel the Steelers to their first 4-0 start in 40 years. I know it's crazy to think of, you know, all the Super Bowl teams that the Steelers have had, that you've got to go back to, you know, the early days of Terry Bradshaw, last time that it went 4-0, 78 and 79. Interestingly, they uh, went on to win the Super Bowl both those years, Super Bowl 8 and Super Bowl 9. So good omens for the Steelers there. What I would say with all this, Charles, you mentioned Chase Claypool there. A player I wouldn't want to be right now is Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju's going into, he's going into a contract year, more or less. He was going into the season kind of proving himself that he's the big man to kind of, you know, fit the wide receiver one. He's suddenly surrounded by Chase Claypool doing all of this kind of stuff. Johnson was playing well. Washington's playing well as well. It's a very competitive wide receiver room you've got there. And Smith Schuster just isn't standing out in any way whatsoever. I think I mentioned about 10 weeks ago that, Smith Schuster had to really show that he was a stud, that he was the man to carry this team. And he did it in week one, and then he's just not stood out at all. Every week, other players around him are making bigger plays, and he's looking to get the bag at the end of his season. And to be honest, the Steelers have a not a very good salary cap situation, and they're probably going to make a hard call here. But right now, I'd probably say that if I'm a Steelers front office, I'm not paying Juju Smith Schuster at the end of the season. The other players have proven that they can step up and fill that position quite adequately. So why would you? Now, that's not to say that he's not a talented or good player. It's just they don't need to pay that much money for somebody in that position when they have much lower salary players who are playing just as well, if not better at the moment. It would be a very emotional decision if they decided to pay him. Yeah. So where do you see this then? Browns or Steelers? Right. I said that at some point one of these teams are letting back into the game might punish them. It could potentially happen. I'm going to say Steelers because they're a 4-0 team. They've done you know most things right and they're looking dangerous. But I'm going to caveat it with I would not be shocked if the Browns give them a nasty surprise at the end. I'm going to say Steelers by three. For me, I think this is going to be a bit of an offense versus defense matchup. I really like the system that Stefanski's implemented. And I think that Big Ben might struggle to put up the same numbers that he's been putting up so far against this Browns defense that's performing quite impressively at the moment. So I think the Steelers are about to catch their first out, but I've only got it by a score. I think it's going to be close. Do you think that Miles Garrett will have the bottle to uh, bop Big Ben on the head with his helmet? 
I think he will try everything that he can to put Big Ben off his game. Uh, Yeah, I don't think he's going to bop him on the head, though, is he? No. No, that's probably a bad move. Okay, next game, what we got? It's the last game in this early window, Texans at the Titans. Yeah, okay, so let's keep this one short and snappy. Texans had the first win last week against an underpar Jags team. This Titans team, I think, are more of a playoff contender. They're not going to give up points the same way that the Jags did. So I've got the Titans winning this one. Titans by 10. Yeah, I'm in a very similar position. I think that although the Texans versus the Jags looked like an impressive scoreline, I think the Texans looked a little bit shaky at times offensively. And weirdly enough, they did a good job of stopping the run for once. I I think it was me. I think I cursed Robinson by picking him in my fantasy player of the week. They're either injured or naff, so that'll be it. But yeah, I think the Titans are a better team than the Texans. And I've got the Titans by two scores, so 14. So that moves us into the late window on the Sunday. And let's talk about Dolphins at the Broncos first. Okay, so I mentioned earlier on about the time that Patrick Mahomes was holding the ball. And he was holding it for a league-leading 3.71 seconds last week. Fitzpatrick was only holding the ball for 2.23 seconds. He was getting that ball out of his hands really, really quick. And he was actually getting the ball out of his hands the fastest in the league. I mentioned as well that his aggressiveness rating was only 7.1%. So things were easy for him. His wide receivers, his tight ends weren't really covered. To have an aggressiveness rating of only 7.1%, you're basically throwing to open men through the whole game. I don't think the Broncos are going to give up that much space on him this week. This Broncos team are not a very good team. They're probably not a playoff team unless something changes quite quickly. But they're not terrible at defense despite the injuries to totemic players like Von Miller. So look, he's not going to have 154.5 pass rating like he did last week. Playing that well two weeks running, I don't see it. Do I see the Broncos beating the Dolphins though? I don't really see that either. I'm going to put Dolphins to win, but not by a lot, mate. Dolphins by seven? Yeah, I've got exactly the same. Dolphins by seven. They turned up the heat this week. Fitzpatrick only failed to succeed on six passes the whole game. Only six passes weren't completed. And that's because everyone that he was throwing it to was open. Because And that's it. You're absolutely right, right? Because this is what happens when you play a team who's missing its top edge rushers and four cornerbacks. So you're not getting any pressure. Everyone's bloody open. It's just a breeze. We said a long time ago that this isn't a secondary that has a lot of depth. And so when you start to lose players like Sherman and Williams, it really starts to expose you. I think the Dolphins will win, but I also agree that I don't think they'll have the success that they had against this depleted 49ers team. So I've got Dolphins by seven as well. Next game, I'm making a habit here. I just don't really want to talk about the Jets. Like until they show me anything other than just a desecration of football, I don't really want to give them too much airtime. So I'm going with Chargers to win by 10. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, no, I'm fine with that completely. I've got Chargers by 14. I think that the probably the only thing that is worth pointing out is continuing your narrative of Herbert. He had another standout game. Yeah, I've not managed to watch that full game yet. But I mean, scoring four touchdowns primetime Monday night. Again, take a boo, son. Yeah. And oh, my goodness. They were so bloody unfortunate not to have won that. Herbert did all the hard work by getting them in a position to kick that field goal and win the game. And it bloody pings off the upright. Unbelievable. No one wants to see a game decided by a donk, do they? (laughs) No. And yep, so to listeners who are Jets fans, I know we've got a few. Owen, sorry, but I mean, until they show us something, just can't talk about them. No. So let's move on then to the last game in that secondary window then, the Packers at the Bucks. Yeah, Packers coming off a bye week, so that's, you know, useful for them to get over a few of the injuries that are starting to creep in. Hopefully they'll have Devante Adams back, which will definitely make them a lot more of a threatening prospect. You know, had the Buccaneers and Bears game gone differently last week, it would be easier to make a case for the Buccaneers. But I mean, the second half performance and the way that that offensive line was really shown up in the protection of Brady... I mean, Brady was just rolling his eyes the amount of times that he was seeing Khalil Mack running down his throat. And I know that Khalil Mack, when he's playing good, he's a generational talent. But I mean, the Buccaneers' O-line was making him look good. 
this is going to be a problem for the Bucks. This is going to be a big problem for them. Packers have got guys who can rush the pass. And unless they do something to improve their protection of Brady a lot more than they did last week, I can't see this going anywhere but the Packers. The one thing I want to talk about just very quickly, I don't know if you saw the play. Did Brady get super confused that the ball was turned over after he failed to make a fourth down? Old man Brady forgot how many downs he'd had. <laughs> it happens when you get to his age. For some reason, he took a risky pass on fourth down, thinking that it was third down and he'd go for something a little bit more conservative had that play failed. But no, ball got turned over, open floodgates for all the memes. Yeah. Um, where do I have this? Yeah, I think Adams is definitely going to be coming back because he was tweeting for game week four that he was good to go. Yeah, a, a bit of a kind of insolent tweet last week. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the tweet that he put out on the Sunday before the Monday night game was, I guess I don't know my body as well as others. Really quite insolent. You know, it's good that a player wants to play, but again, you're a veteran, probably shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. No, agreed. But there's always stuff like that coming out of Green Bay, isn't there? If it's not Adams, it's Rogers. So <laughs> we're, yeah. uh, we're used to it by now. A lot of divas. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. So I'm just worried because... I'll be honest, Joe, I'm used to getting my heart broken against Brady and I'm just nervous that if he does show up, there could be trouble there. The Bucks do seemingly have quite a good run game, which we are struggling to put a cap on at the moment defensively. I think this game could go close. I've got the Packers to win, but I've only got the Packers by a field goal. I'm going Packers by 10. Okay, well, as long as Packers win, I don't really care, Joe. <laughs> I think that the second half of that Bears game shown a lot of light onto some dark places of that Buccaneers team. And I think that there's a roadmap there to beat them. I can't figure out this Bucks team though. Like one week they look really good, one week they look decidedly average. And you just never know which team you're going to get. And you know, the score didn't reflect it last week, but it kind of ties into this thing about what I said, about when they play teams who are playing badly, they'll beat them down. And when they come up against friction and they come up against teams playing competitively against them, they struggle. And you saw the two halves of that in the Bears game last Thursday night. So then we do go into our final game on the Sunday, which for our time creeps into Monday morning. It's the Rams at the 49ers. Yeah, so I started to talk about the 49ers previously when we were talking about the Dolphins, but just want to add a little bit more to it now. This 49ers team really, really has issues. They're sitting on a 2-3 and three record right now, but they're 2-3 having played the Jets and the Giants. I mean, if they hadn't played those New York teams, would they be 2-3? and three? You know, they've basically got a padded record to be at 2-3. and three. If you go back to the first game of the season and games last year, Teams were having to game plan against the 49ers by throwing the majority of their passes either short left or short right. Doing little dump passes off to running backs or slot receivers doing slants because the pressure was so harsh. Because you had Bosa kind of coming in your face, because you had that line there. Now, the line plays a part into it, but I think teams have realized right now that because they're so ravaged in the secondary, you can basically go for it. You can go for it on most plays because your receivers won't be covered. They started Brian Allen and he was pulled in the second quarter. But until the point where he was pulled, and this is only in the second quarter, he'd given up 124 yards out of 168 for the team total against Fitzpatrick. He'd given away two penalties and he'd given away a touchdown to uh, Devante Parker. And he was a player that they started fresh off the practice squad. Like, this is how depleted they are. Now, one little bit of good news for them is they've got Dre Greenlaw coming back this week. Dre Greenlaw's a player who makes things happen. He's capable of, you know, forcing turnovers in that linebacker core. That's a real boost to them. Is it enough to stop this Rams team who, you know, after a poor week four, had a good week five? I don't know. This team as well, they're set up to lead games. They're a run first team and they do everything through run and play action. You're not a team that's built to chase games. So if the Rams get a couple of early touchdowns, I can see this being a similar kind of score to how it was for the Dolphins. I'm going to respect the 49ers. I'm not going to say free scores, but I'm going to say the Rams by 20 points. Wow, okay. I don't have it too far off, to be fair. Something that concerns me is the 49ers quarterback situation. Yeah. I think whoever's going to be in that situation is going to be against Aaron Donald this week. 
and nobody wants to be against Aaron Donald, even when they've got everything locked down. And these quarterbacks at the moment, doesn't matter who they put in, they are struggling and they're going to face even tougher competition this week. Something that we've said before is that the Rams struggle to score. Yeah. They managed to put that to bed last week, but it was against Washington football team. Yep. Yep. Having said that, we've just talked about how, you know, the 49ers can't protect passing plays. So this could be another week like that. I've got them by 14. So just two touchdowns. But yeah, we're there or thereabouts thinking the same thing. Okay. We move into the final game we're going to discuss then, the Monday night game, which is Cardinals at the Cowboys. And just one thing to say about that, Cowboys. Oh, Dak Prescott. You know what, right? He's getting a lot of stick for it. But when Romo saw that live, he didn't see the kind of horribleness of it. And I'll be honest, when I was watching that game, I didn't see the horribleness of it the first time. And I wish, I just wish that I'd kept a Tony Romo view of that and left it at that. Because they showed the replay enough times. There was no need to show it during a Vikings and Seattle game as well. I'd seen it enough by that point. It was horrible. It doesn't matter who the player is. You just never, ever want to see that. And I mean, you know, Dak's been doing a lot of good things in terms of like the mental health awareness that he's done. Dak's a guy that despite being quarterback for the Cowboys, you can certainly root for. It's something horrible to see. And everyone's saying it, but all you can do is just wish him all the best. Yeah, absolutely. And on a year that was so important to him. So important to him. The story now for the rest of the Cowboys season with them sitting one and four is not so much about what they're going to do in terms of success this season, because realistically, they'll struggle to... No, they won't struggle to make playoffs because they're in such a crappy division. They'll pr- That's the only thing that's saving them, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's whether they have a run there, because they've never really had much of a run with Dak there. If Andy Dalton now takes them on a run, what's that going to do for Dak's contract prospects? And... You know, there is a chance that we've seen the last of Dak Prescott in Dallas now. Like, that is a possible outcome, which yeah. would be horrible for the story to end like that for him there. No, it definitely would. I agree. Again, though, it was another game where the defense just didn't show up. And we know that Mike McCarthy is in this role and he's probably safe for at least the rest of this season. But you've got to start asking questions at some point, I think, somewhere. If it's not Mike, then it's the defensive coordinator. But something's got to happen, right? This defense shouldn't be that bad. I know they're carrying injuries, but so is everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right there. And I mean, Mike Nolan is the defensive coordinator at the Cowboys. With how stacked that team is, the players they have in there, you know, Everson Griffin, Lawrence, Poe, Van Der Esch, I know he was injured, but you had him to start off there. There's a lot of big-name players in there who should be performing and who should be putting pressure, who should be getting sacks, and it's just not happening. I can't really see any way past this aside from getting a new defensive coordinator in. I don't know what your view on that is, Chaz. Yeah, I mean, I think part of my feeling on this is that a lot of these decisions are coming down from Mike. Mike keeps saying we're not going to be a one-call defense but his style isn't working and obviously the defensive coordinator is only working on the kind of style of defense that Mike's dictating but I don't see Mike going anywhere this season because I think they've invested in him so yeah he may be used as a scapegoat but I think Mike is the issue at the moment but let's see how that plays out. I think for this game, I'd feel the same whether Dak was in or out. I have the Cardinals to win this. Now that Dak's out on top of that, it might be worse. But I'm going to stick with what I was originally thinking, which was Cardinals by 10. Yeah, but the Cardinals are another underachieving team in terms of the expectations. And that's why I've only got them by 10 points, because I think that the Cowboys are leaky as hell and you can put up big points against them. But to your point, I think that the Cardinals aren't quite totally clicking yet. So I think that the Cowboys will stay in this game. And that's why I see it by only being 10. Okay, then, mate, I'm going Cardinals 7. Yeah. Cool. So, Joe, it's been a particularly long episode, this episode, but I think it was an important one because we had a few... A few things to get off our chest. Yeah, and do a little bit of a deep dive into, which I think is important when we're analysing the games and the games to come. 
So I think for that reason, and not totally because we both suck at this, uh, let's park Fantasy Player of the Week this week. They'd only get injured. So <laughs> well, this is the thing. Or fumble trying to pass while making a running play. Yeah. You know? Yeah, let's uh, leave it this week. There's enough that we've talked already. So uh, yeah, we can skip it. So we've got another full pack week this week. Let's see how our predictions play out. As ever, you can check them out on playsheetpodcast.com and make sure you follow us on all the social channels as well. Look forward to seeing you next week. See you next week.